Good morning. Glad you made it. My name is Steve. I'm on staff here at Reach Church uh, part-time, and it is always a privilege uh, to, to share the word together and, uh, and to explore some stuff. And so everyone will have that opportunity, and, and freely so. There are friends of, of, of mine who are holding Bibles to actually gift you if you don't have a Bible of your own. So if, if that's your case, these are free, no strings attached, you don't have to fill out a form or anything, but if you need a Bible this morning, please raise your hand and, uh, and we'll get you one, okay? All right? Deep breath. No, no. Well, I know, I know it's an object of curiosity, but it actually took me several years to develop my current Conan the Librarian figure. Before that, I, it, it, took, it took me years to figure out what I needed to do to stay in shape so in high school, I had a misadventure into cross country. And some of you may be very astute cross country runners. I ran cross country because I could see more golf courses that way. <laughs> I could run on courses I'd never be able to afford to play in some cases. But that was kind of fun. And, uh, and actually during my junior year of high school is when I was most active and the summer before my junior year I had worked uh, on theater sets with a student group at Tarkio College at the Mule Barn Theater in, in uh, Tarkio, Missouri and it was there I met an older woman she was going to be a senior I was going to be a junior she could drive I could not she wanted me to be a homecoming date. This would look so cool among my friends. And so finally we figured out together, you know, and that was back when it actually cost money to call between Glenwood, Iowa and Council Bluffs where she lived. So we had to very strategically plot out um, how we were gonna get the details worked out. And it ended up that we were running a cross country meet that Abraham Lincoln High School was hosting at a golf course that I had not seen yet, and that this older woman, who we will call Peg, because that's not her real name, uh, said, I'll come to that cross-country meet, and we can work out all the details for homecoming, and, and it'll be great, you'll see. Uh, so I'm looking all over that Saturday morning, I'm looking to see where, uh, this, the, the, this, this the girl is, and I'm not seeing her anywhere, feeling a little bit down in the mouth, you know, feeling a little bit bad, and then the starter's gun fires. And whenever I heard a starter's gun, I always thought they were shooting at me. <laughs> Any, anyone, no. Uh, but I, I 
placed myself two-thirds of the way back in the pack. I, I never ran to place because I wasn't built that way. You understand how sometimes cross-country people are rangy and wiry and have lungs the size of small counties? <laughs> I was not that, nor would I ever become that. But I was just having a regular old cross-country day, and I was filling my place on the team, and my job was not to finish too far back, and that was about it. And then there, standing over the seventh green, there was Peg. A visage, as it were. Do you ever notice when you drive, if something off the side of the road captures your attention, you steer in that direction? <laughs> yeah, see, so here's what happened. There was Peg. And do you, do you know that cross-country courses are set up with a series of flags? You know, and where the flags are planted tell you whether you go right or left? Yeah, well, for about 100 yards, I forgot that there were flags. And I was steering in that direction because there she was above the seventh green. And I ran, uh, they stopped me when I got to a sand bunker and redirected me. And I watched Peg bury her head in her hands and walk away. And the next time we talked was at a, at a speech contest the next spring. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> One of the most difficult things to deal with in life, just every day, is distraction. And distraction can cost you the race. You know, it can cost you... As we're about to see, it has the possibility of costing you your life. First uh, Samuel, which is where we're headed today, and we're going to First Samuel 17, and if you want to start turning there, uh, j just while I give you a little bit of background, it's a very familiar story. It's the story of David and Goliath. And uh, I don't know, you know, what you've thought about David up to this point, because David... Um, Frequently, in Sunday school, is pictured as like a seven- or eight-year-old, right? And he's got a little slingshot that looks like it was manufactured by Mattel. And that's not quite the picture we get in the scriptures. First Samuel is part of a series of books that takes us from the story of the time of Judges, a tribal confederacy, if you will, that was Israel, into the time when Israel is actually a monarchy. And, uh, and that goes on for several generations. And yes, indeed, uh, it's the same King David that we'll see in a few chapters, who is David of David and Goliath fame um, in, in chapter 17. David had to work through some distractions 
I had an aunt Della, who was actually a great aunt, my, my grandmother's sister. And because she was from the Irish side of the family, on my dad's side, um, she was both Irish and Catholic, and she uh, made a career as a nun. And I had three encounters with Aunt Della. One is when I was about seven. And Aunt Della, in, in her full nun gear, uh, the, the, the habit and all, was playing freeze tag with all of us kids who were gathered at this family event. And she must have been pushing 60. And she was as spry as the day was long, and she laughed, and she had this really fruity, wonderful laugh. And she was a blast to be around, and it was nothing like the nuns that I'd seen in Hollywood pictures. You know, she was wonderful. I enjoyed her. I wanted to hang around her. And she was making uh, her ministry education. And she was very good at organizing schools, and she did that. Uh, in Mexico and Central America and a few places uh, throughout her career. During, during that travel back and forth between Mexico and the U.S., she happened upon a figurine of a monk. And I got to let you know, it was, it's not expensive. It's not custom, customized in any way. Um, Today, they're made out of plaster or plastic. But it's just this monk who is reading the scriptures and has head bowed in prayer. The second time we met, she took me aside out of the living room uh, to my Aunt Ruby and Uncle Bill's kitchen table. And she sat me down because... She knew that I was about to head into, uh, into Jesus music in the early 70s. And, and she, she said, Steve, I can't help but worry about all the distractions that are in front of your generation. I, I, I can't help but be haunted. And she said, it was tough enough when I was growing up to say no to everything that wanted me to veer from the path that God had chosen for me. I can't imagine what it must be like for you. So I am committing now to pray for you daily that you will stay in the scriptures and that you will pray so you can learn to recognize the voice of Jesus. The third encounter was actually through my dad when he brought me that figurine from Aunt Della with a very simple message on a rolled up piece of paper. Three words. I opened it up on the day before I was ordained. There's the figurine. The little guy's still reading the scriptures. He's still in prayer. And this little scroll-like piece of paper rolls out. Beware the noise. Did you get that? Beware the noise. David, 
as we're about to see, had to learn what it was to beware the noise. And, and, and why is this important? Because we should fear in some ways, in a healthy way, what the noise is doing and wants to do to undercut our faith and our mission. Does that make sense so far? Got me? Okay. Let's see. If you have reservations for 1155, you won't make it. But no. We'll get you out of here on time. So we're going to go down to verse around verse 31 or 32. And, and to, to sort of introduce you to today, David has asked this huge question that causes him to gain attention from King Saul. And that big question, uh, long story short, is uh, contained in uh, chapter 17, verse 26. If you want to look at that real quick, David asked the shoulders standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine, Goliath? and ending his defiance of Israel. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Big question. Then you go down to 31. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Okay, so so far in this series, uh, you've heard people like uh, Russ Cowenhoven talk about what you look for in, in a leader, and, and we've heard Russell talk about the importance of, uh, of, of posture versus position and how your heart needs to be in the right place in order for your action to be authentic. Uh, you, you heard Pastor Andrew last week talk about what it takes to approach a Goliath in your life, you know, and, and using Reese's peanut butter cups. He responded and answered that question beautifully one bite at a time, one bite at a time. And today we're going to dissect that just a little bit further by saying, beware the noise. Why do you beware the noise? Because it distracts. Noise is anything that distracts. You know, there, there are the messages you hear. How many of you have a different relationship with the broadcast news than you had 20 years ago? Yep. Uh, how many of you, uh, you know, maybe actually turn to, um, I'll keep it in TV, keep it in, keep it in TV land. You turn to Andy Griffith because times were simpler and the messages were more straightforward. Where we're headed today is David's discipline, okay, in defying the noise around him. Let's take a look at what that, that seems like. Uh, verse 32 and following real quickly. First of all, let's beware the noise that crowds out hope. Let's beware the noise that crowds out hope. Doesn't it seem every now and then that everything around us wants to suck hope right out of the core of our being? 
Doesn't it seem now and then, you know, that in the eyes of, of the pundits, everything is futile? Don't bother. Give up now. That's not the message God wants us to take into life. Verse 32, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. Abandon all hope if you enter that option, right? But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, plural. No. And I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Last year, my Old Testament professor passed away at the age of 104. His name was Radar Bjornard. Radar was a leader and a young leader uh, in the late 1930s and early 1940s in the evangelical churches of Norway. When Quisling, and some of you you know, may remember that from your history books, who was kind of the turncoat of Norway, um, who sided with the Nazis against his own people, came into power, Radar Bjornard was put on a hit list. So this mild-mannered, tall, rangy, athletic Norwegian found himself on the run with Gestapo agents at his heels. And his church network worked out a series of places for him to stay so he could ski at night, rest during the day, and make his way to the Swedish border. It took about two months, but it happened. In the meantime, almost nightly, or daily, I guess, because his days were reversed, Radar was in a crawl space or a corner of an attic listening to traffic in the main room of the house or barn he was in, praying that he would be able to be hidden from sight. In later years, when he was in a classroom teaching, he would tell his students, Ladies and gentlemen, there's no way they shouldn't have noticed me. I'm sure there were times I moved at the wrong time. I'm sure there were evidences left out in plain sight that they should have noticed. I am here because I know what it is to rest under the wings of the Almighty. I am here to tell you that when everything else around you is hopeless, that God is our sure hope. 
I am living evidence of that. I am living evidence of that. Beware the noise. Beware the noise that would crowd out hope. As long as we have breath, the kingdom of God can advance. Yes or no? As long as we have breath, the kingdom of God can advance. Yeah? Beware the noise that devalues God's preparation for you. A lot of times, um, people will question whether or not you need a certain amount of training or a degree or if you need to look good or if you need to play a guitar or you need to not play a guitar. You know, they have different qualifications for ministry. And for those of you who have ever volunteered or been in ministry, you know that to be the case. You may not be able to fulfill everybody's wish list. Surprised? One of my most important mentors was a plumber who had an eighth grade education. But uh, after he met Jesus full on, developed an incredible love for the scripture and an incredible love for teenagers. And most of the teenagers in Glenwood, Iowa, and a few surrounding communities called Merrill Craig Grandpa. It was just, it was just fitting. And there were a few people who questioned whether, you know, Merrill was qualified to carry out the ministry he so cherished. But if you saw him in action, you knew that question didn't really apply. Merrill was in his element discussing the scriptures. So junior high people could understand. See? And Merrill established and ran a coffee house for teenagers uh, Friday and Saturday nights for 15 years. And some of the alumni from that coffee house are organizing and have organized a Facebook page to try to track down people who went through and whose lives were impacted by that coffee house as part of a history of the town square in Glenwood, Iowa. People are coming out of the woodwork. We're going to have a few hundred kids who say, Merrill Craig directly impacted my life. Eighth grade education, plumber by trade. What were his qualifications? He responded to God's voice to serve. I like it. See, because here's what happens. Sometimes what we try to put on to qualify ourselves to do battle, to qualify ourselves to do ministry, sometimes those things are burdens rather than help. 
Then Saul gave David his own armor, verse 38, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. See that? He got rid of the distraction. He gave it no more of his time. I have a mission to do. This is going to hinder me. I don't need it. David took those, those pieces of armor and military equipment off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started to cross the valley to fight the Philistine. May not have looked the way the status quo would have had him look. But he was ready for battle, was he not? Sometimes the preparation of God through an eighth grade education and a profound knowledge of plumbing and a big heart for teenagers and a hunger for the word, the preparation of God far outweighs what we think we need to do his will. Watch this. Beware the noise of giants and the gods of men. Beware the noise of giants and the gods of men. You'll recall from last week, as, as Pastor Andrew set up this scenario for the conflict, the fight between David and Goliath. You'll recall that Goliath was coming out on a daily basis, came out 40 days in a row before David show, showed up, and would hurl insults at the Israelites and would, and would proclaim that the gods of the Philistines were far superior to the God of Israel. In the ancient Near East, there were two ways of looking at how deities, how gods interacted with battle. One was that the soldiers representing a given deity, that the soldiers would have superior equipment and would have trained to become stronger. So the outcome of the battle was for the soldiers to be blessed for their own strength. It would be in that case the strength of the soldiers the skill of the soldiers, the equipment of the soldiers that would prove victorious or not. That was the platform from which Goliath approached this conflict. At the same time, the second viewpoint in the ancient Near East is represented by David. David has already said, I can't do this the way you think it needs to be done, Saul. I respect you, I submit to your authority, but you got to let me fight this on God's terms. And what happens? 
David assumed that God was actually entering the battle against the Philistines and their gods. That made comparison between David and Goliath in terms of strength, in terms of equipment. That made those comparisons irrelevant because as we're about to hear out of David's mouth, David expects that the victory for Israel and himself will be fully based on God's ability to fight, not his own. Watch this. Goliath walked out toward David with a shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know, watch this, that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Now, if he had on typical shepherd's clothing, Goliath never would have seen David preparing the sling. All that was going on underneath. Goliath never would have seen David grab the rock that became the fatal blow to the giant. David's coming toward Goliath. He's not running away. But at the same time, he wants to attack before he is within reach, right? Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. We need to pause just a moment for some perspective. You may be thinking that a sling that David used was like, um, you know, maybe a predecessor to a Daisy Red Ryder BB gun. And, uh, and maybe on his way out to practice, David's grandma shouted after him, you'll shoot your eye out. <laughs> but slings were serious weapons in the ancient Near East. There are battlefields that have been excavated that show piles of sling stones uh, at various places throughout, throughout the recovered battlefield. And some of them spent and, and obviously hurled at enemies back and forth. Are you ready for this? Most of those stones that they find are between two and three inches in di diameter. They are round and smooth. This is what's fun. In the hands of an experienced slingsmith, I just made that word up. <laughs> Isn't it fun? Slingsmith. In the hands of an experienced slingsmith, 
the effective range of a sling is 100 yards. A football field's length. And to top that off, an experienced slingsmith can propel the stone from a sling at a speed of over 100 miles per hour. Suddenly you're rethinking that slingshot you bought when you were a kid, right? But this is the kind of stuff that David brought up against Goliath. We have a tendency to think, you know, that, that maybe, maybe it was, you know, a whammo slingshot using pea gravel. And no, this was a strategic and serious weapon. And David was experienced with it. Why? Because he had followed the pathway of men to prepare himself as a warrior. He didn't look like that. There were a lot of things going down that pathway that were simply distractions. But in order to fulfill the arc of leadership and ministry, of servanthood that God had for David, he had to get rid of the distractions. He had to beware the noise and then deal with the noise so he could follow God's voice. See, that's the point here. Why even bother to beware the noise? Because you need to avoid distractions. I do too. There are things that are really nice and that appear to be right to a man. Oh, wait, that sounds biblical. That need to be dealt with. See? So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. If you're reading in the New International Version, uh, that indicates that the stone actually killed him. Most other versions and most commentators agree that uh, Goliath was actually killed at the moment David cut off his head. You don't have to talk about that at lunch. It's okay. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath, which was Goliath's hometown, and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road from Shaharim, as far as Gath and Ekron, then the Israelite army returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. David took the Philistines' head to Jerusalem, but he stored the man's armor in his own tent. All right? The giant's been cut down to size. There's a martial arts school in Thailand. And when my family was, uh, was being trained in martial arts a few years back in Colorado Springs, we had wonderful, wonderful, delightful trainers, uh, very devout Christians. Um, and Chief Instructor Johnson and his wife would go overseas about every 14 to 18 months to the Pacific Rim to, uh, to learn more about effective martial arts. 
And they came back from Thailand one trip. And I was, I was, um, I must have been having coffee because that's where I remember it. But with uh, Chief Instructor Johnson, and he described what this uh, particular martial arts school taught. Um, as it ends up, this martial arts school in Thailand really worked with the notion that some people are short. I perked right up. And so what does that mean, Chief Instructor Johnson? And he said, this is what it means. They focus the first three minutes or so of every encounter from the knees down. And they are very effective and they are feared. And he said, and now having sparred with a few of them, I understand why. Giants can always be cut down to size. Just as Andrew said last week, sometimes you do that a bite at a time. Sometimes maybe more stuff happens. But the idea is that we stay consistent. We stay persistent. When we hear hopelessness, we persist in hope. When we hear about how powerful the gods of humans are, we persist in the notion that our God is stronger. We persist in the notion that there is only one name given under heaven and upon earth by which we must be saved. One, one. We live in the reality that Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And in so doing, we set boundaries that will help us define the cultural conflict, but also the inner conflict. So we can move forward in the things of God. We're going to continue and simply say, you got to beware of the noise in order to remember who you are. Remember that David could have come to Saul now, hauling all of his trophies. And if Saul asked him the question, well, who are you? Uh, not that he didn't know already, but David could say, well, I am the champion of Israel. Boom. David could have said, well, I'm the next best flavor. Boom. You know, shower me with all that stuff that you said you were going to shower me with because I deserve it. Boom. And David could have taken that approach and probably would have gained some recognition, but it's instructive just to see what he did very simply. As Saul watched David go out to fight the Philistine, he asked Abner, the commander of his army, Abner, whose son is this young man? Well, I really don't know, Abner declared. Well, find out who he is, the king told him. As soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner brought him to Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hand. Tell me about your father, young man, Saul said. And David replied, his name is Jesse, and we live in Bethlehem. 
You, you notice David wasn't about drawing attention to himself. David was there to say, this is who I am. This is where I come from. I'm a hometown boy. And I have a dad who loves me. And we won this fight today. Because I knew how not to be distracted. And so we come to today. And I'm reminded of Hebrews 3, 7. Because it's all about learning. You, you get rid of the distractions. You beware the noise. You deal with the noise. And why do you do that? So you can hear his voice. It's the same prayer my Aunt Della said for me for years. Please stay in the scripture. Please stay in prayer. And then do whatever it takes to learn the voice of God and keep going deeper. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. How many of you, just a quick hand count, how many of you have seen the miracles of God active in your life ever? You know, going back 40 years, see, a lot of you have. And, and, and so there's more of, a, of an expectation of us because we should know better. We should know that God is faithful. We should live in that reality. We should expect stuff to happen. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience again, even so, though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. Watch the direction of your heart. They refuse to do what I tell them. What about obedience? So in my anger, I took an oath they will never enter my place of rest. Okay, I'm going to confess every once in a while, I have a problem sleeping at night. And why is that? Anyone else ever worry? Anyone else ever wake up in a cold sweat about next year? however that nebulous that may be. We need to learn what it is to rest. We need to learn what it is to live in obedience. We need to learn what it is to remember, remember, remember God's faithfulness. Today when you hear his voice, distractions blown away, You've recognized and, and, and you've named the distractions and the, and, and the noise. And now you are ready. You are in a prime position to grow your recognition of, of, of God's voice. And then you're in a place where you can follow Jesus like a sheep follows a shepherd. 
I tell you the truth, Jesus says, John 10, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice. Watch that. The sheep recognize his voice. They got previous experience with his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him. Why? Because they don't know his voice. Everything is about knowing the voice of Jesus better. See? The task this morning with David and Goliath, uh, miracles abound in that story, and points of interest uh, abound in that story. But at the end of the day, it's all about listening to the right voice. At the end of the day, it's about trusting that God's got your back. And some of you this morning may be waiting for the right moment to say to God, I want to follow your voice. I don't want to stop short anymore. I want to follow your voice and know that I am in the center of your will and your heart for me. I want to be doing the stuff you want me to do. I don't want to waste any more time. See? So here's the bottom line. Beware the noise. Clear out the distractions. Listen to his voice. And follow him. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray at this time that you would keep everyone, everyone gathered here, each of us, attuned to your voice that you would keep each of us constant in the scripture and that you would keep each of us in continual communion and contact through prayer, through that back and forth conversation with you. And Lord God, that as we obey and as we go forward and as we mature, that we would throw off the distractions in exchange for knowing you and knowing your voice and following you in obedience because of Jesus. Amen.